0: gentlemen i am your host brad hicks and this is the spooky slv podcast let's get started good evening ladies and gentlemen i am back again i did miss the saturday night one um I apologize for that i was going to do you know thursday friday saturday sunday and then do a big long one or maybe even a live on monday but i'm not sure about the live because yeah that's kind of a pain in the ass for everybody i don't wouldn't know when to start i wouldn't know how long to go all that other stuff wouldn't know how to do it for that matter (laughs) but uh tonight we'll be reading uh two or three stories i know i've got one by uh mr christopher o'brien out of his book the mysterious valley entitled he was real spooked and um for sure one by hp lovecraft entitled polaris so we may be doing two we may be doing three i haven't really decided yet but we'll get going let's get started All right, folks, the first story is he was real spooked by Christopher O'Brien from his book, The Mysterious Valley. Thankfully, the following two weeks were pretty quiet in the SLV. I needed some time to digest that first trip into Costilla County. I also used this time to rehearse with my band, The Business, for a series of shows we would do throughout the region that spring. I worked feverishly on financing a proposal for a 90-minute documentary concerning my amateur investigation. I had approached several friends concerning leads on possible investors for the project, and John Hill mentioned Hisa Ota, a well-to-do Japanese architect who owned the Zapata and Mendano ranches. Ota had recently put in a championship 18-hole golf course at the Great Sand Dunes Country Club. The two two ranches he owns make up the western border of the Great Sand Dunes National Monument and contain some of the earliest sites of human occupation in North America this rich archaeological locale is important to its owner. He had been financing an ongoing Smithsonian dig on the Medano, and I thought if anyone might be interested in the project, it would be him. After a couple of cancellations, he finally made plans to meet for dinner at his four-star great Sand Dunes Country Club restaurant, May 3rd, 1993. Coincidentally, I had spoken with Ota's Medano Ranch foreman on March 9th. He had been chasing lights at night around sections of the ranch in previous summer. He told me of several fascinating encounter, encounters with what I have dubbed the Bigfoot truck lights. Evidently, he, had, he and his ranch hands and even Great Sand Dunes personnel had witnessed peculiar lights that seemed to travel mainly on dirt roads, didn't open and closed lock gates and left no tracks. The foreman, a professional tracker for 10 years, was understandably bewildered and a little hesitant to talk to me. You ain't going to put me in the paper, are you? was his initial response to my call. I told him I wouldn't use his name in the articles, and he proceeded to tell me about this sometimes nightly experiences. They come out at night around 9 to 9.30 in the late summer, and in the fall, I've seen them four and five nights in a row and they coincide with helicopter activity. I've been chased, chasing them around on my motorcycle. The headlight doesn't work, and I try to sneak up on them to see who they are. What do the lights look like, I ask. Well, there's two large white lights with headlights about 10 feet apart and about 8 to 10 feet off the ground. When they seem to turn around, there's two smaller red lights in the back, like a big truck or something. They're completely silent and, I don't, and don't leave any tracks. The last time we saw him, me and a ranch hand scoured the whole area for a whole day and all the way to the Baca headquarters, almost 10 miles, and didn't find a trace of them. No tracks, footprints, cigarette butts, anything. Last summer, we saw them half a dozen times or so. The first couple of times, it was kind of fun chasing them around, but then I hit a barbed wire fence doing 30 miles per hour and messed myself up. It ain't no fun no more. <laughs> How close have you been able to get to them? He thought for a second. Oh, maybe 300 yards or so. One time, one of them let me get real close and it blinked off. About four or five minutes later, it flashed on for just a second right behind me. Scared the hell out of me. It's almost like they're playing with me. I asked him who or what he thought was prowling around Ota's ranch. Well, the guys at the Great Sand Dunes Monument have seen him come right off of the dunes. I don't know, maybe they're military hovercraft or something. They've got to be using night vision, plus they don't open any gates and don't leave any tracks. I don't know if there had been any tracks, I would have found them. Where do you usually see them? We usually see them them north on the Baca border and east between the Medino Monument border. We've seen them just uh, northeast of the San Luis Lakes, near Head Lake. I remembered that this lake could be the actual location of the pueblos indians place of emergence when did you see them there i asked him last summer we've seen him over there a few times as i left the foreman i was sure that his boss he saw it, though, would be interested in the strange activity that had been reported historically on his ranches in the mysterious valley as the crow flies the distance between the Baca and the great sand dunes is less than 20 miles the only paved road is 50 miles around the Baca Ranch, a trip of almost an hour. I found Hisa to be gracious, curious, and talented. He designed the Disney corporate headquarters in Florida and is well-known and su- successful architect. The history of the Zapata Ranch and Yuraka areas interest him a great deal. And having hired uh, Burl Lewis as a handyman who lives at the Country Cub, Ota was aware of some of the unusual occurrences that had been documented on his property. He had already marveled at some of Lewis's colorful, colorful stories and was acquainted with my articles. He seemed eager to hear more about my investigation. For the next two hours, over an excellent quinoa and trout dinner, I talked extensively with Ota about the area. He declined my proposal, explaining that the reason he doesn't live in the Baca was because so many people would be asking me for money. Oh, well, after thanking him and saying goodbye, I started my journey back home. At 10.30 p.m., halfway between Hooper and Moffat, oh my goodness I noticed a strange refracted glow behind me and in my rearview mirror. It appeared to be a mile or so behind. I ignored it. Then off to the right, 30 feet from the ground, I saw the outline of a car. I strained to see if the driver needed help, but I saw no one. The rest of the trip was uneventful, but two hours later, my brother Brendan called. He was out of breath. It was his car I passed. He had just arrived home after being given a ride from a Sawatch County deputy. Brendan had recognized my truck with its homemade camper shell and tried to flag me down. As I ran up to the road and watched your taillights, I could hear a car coming right after you with its lights off. It was a brand new white sedan with two men in the front seat. They must have been wearing night vision. It was really dark out. It was scary. They were about half a mile behind you and really flying. They must have been doing 100 miles an hour. Brendan watched me make the turn onto Road T and head east toward Crestone. The brake lights of the mystery sedan came on as the driver made a U-turn and started back on 17 toward him, its lights still off. I was real spooked, he admitted. I crouched down off the road behind a bush out of sight, thinking they might have seen me. I heard the car turn off, 17, about two miles up or so on the road. I ran up to the road and saw that the car had turned east on a dirt road. Still shaken, Brendan observed, It's really weird the way my throttle cable had broken. It's almost like something wanted me to see that car following you. On five different occasions the following week, military-style trucks were seen coming and going on the same road the sedan had taken the night on May 3rd. My mind whirled in su- with, su- with supposition. Had I become a player in a potentially dangerous game? Was I getting close to something I wasn't supposed to see? Was someone monitoring me? I refused to allow fear to dictate my state of mind, however. I did go through the paces for a couple of days. Coming on the heels of the first trip to Costilla, this latest possible example of interest in my activities was a bit disconcerting. During the first week of May, I had set up a meeting with then Alamosa County Sheriff Jim Drury. Drury was midway through his fourth term as sheriff, and I was surprised at his eagerness to talk with me. He suggested I come down to the sheriff's office the following day. I was impressed by the brand-spanking-new sheriff's office in county jail. If he could swing the money to have this built in the dirt-poor SLV, the guy was on the ball. I was buzzed with the receptionary and directed into his office. Drury, with a warm smile, extended his hand and told me to have a seat. An impeccably dressed, relaxed man. He surprised me with his candor and open mind. He told me that after I called, he had gone into the archives to find reports pertaining to UADs and UFOs, and that it occurred in the county. He also checked on it for any paperwork on the Snippy case. You know, it's funny. I couldn't find a single file on animal mutilations or UFO sightings. He said, scratching his Irish red hair. Hmm, that's strange. I have a lot of courier clippings that mention cases in Alamosa in the 70s. I began looking through my files for exact dates. Jury talked a bit about the UADs, and he seemed genuinely interested in the phenomena. When I moved down here, I became sheriff. I had no idea this kind of thing went on here. I remember reading about some of the front-range reports from the 70s, but I had no idea it happened here. I think a lot more occurred here than is officially on the record, I said showing him my documentation of unpublicized cases from Sawatch County. He asked me if I had any theories concerning who or what was behind these animal deaths, and we talked at length about the various attempts to explain the mystery. It turned out that Drury had a professional fascination with non-traditional social, political, and religious groups, better known in the media as cults. Not only did he have an interest, he was considered an expert. He'd taught college-level courses and trained law enforcement officials all across the country, a perfect person to help interpret the non-traditional phenomena I was stalking. Drury seemed genuinely interested in helping with my investigation. I asked him about cult activity in the Valley, and he told me about some investigation he'd conducted attempting to unmask a ritual magic group. I casually mentioned that I was planning to go down to Costilla County to conduct some more interviews, and he warned me to tread lightly down there i didn't quite know what to think of this what was he intimating i told him i'd welcome his company and we can confirmed the trip for may 6th unfortunately duty called and jury couldn't make it i wish now he had <laughs> again i'm going to thank mr christopher o'brien for letting me read from his books uh i only have two of his books on the valley i think he's got one more maybe two more out on that but uh, I always enjoy his stories. And there's one story in one of his books. I can't remember if it's the Mysterious Valley or Enter the Valley that we actually witnessed. I, me and my buddy Jimmy. And anybody who's listening to this that knew Jimmy Galvis, you know he was into this stuff. But I, I'm not going to give you any details on that story. If I can find the story in one of the books, I'll read it out to you. And then I'll, you'll know exactly what we saw anyway. Uh, but uh, on to the next Okay, and the second story tonight is Polaris by H.P. Lovecraft. Into the north window of my chamber glows the pole star with uncanny light. All through the long hellish hours of blackness it shines there. And in the autumn of the year when the winds from the north curse and whine and the red-leaved trees from the swamp mutter things to one another in the small hours of the morning under the horned waning moon, I sit by the casement and watch that star. Down from the heights reels the glittering Cassiopeia as the hours wear on, while Charles' Wayne lumbers up from behind the vapor-soaked swamp trees that sway in the night wind. Just before dawn, Arcturus winks ruddy from above the cemetery on the low hillock, and Coma Berenices shimmers weirdly afar off in the mysterious east. But still, the pole star leers down from the same place in the black vault, winking hideously like an insane watching eye, which strives to convey some strange message, yet recalls nothing save that it once had a message to convey. Sometimes, when it's cloudy, I can sleep. Well, I do remember the night of the great aurora, when over the swamp played the shocking chorusations of the daemon light. After the beam came clouds, and then I slept. And it was under a horned waning moon that I saw the city for the first time, still and Somnolent did it lie on a strange plateau in a hollow between strange peaks of ghastly marble were its walls and towers, its columns, domes, and pavements. In the marble streets were marble pillars, the upper parts of which were carved into the images of grave-bearded men. The air was warm and stirred not, and overhead, scarce ten degrees from the zenith, glowed that watching pole star. Long did I gaze t- on the city, but the day came not. And when the red Aldebaran, which blinked low in the sky but never set, had crawled a quarter of the way around the horizon, I saw light and motion in the houses and the streets, forms strangely robed, but at once noble and familiar. Walked abroad and under the horned waning moon, men talked wisdom in tongue which I understood, though it was unlike any language which I had ever known. And when the red Aldebaran had crawled more than halfway across the horizon, there were again darkness and silence. When I awoke, when I awaked, I was not as I had been. Upon my memory was graven the vision of the city. And within my soul had arisen another and vaguer recollection of whose nature I was not then certain. Thereafter, on the cloudy nights, when I could not sleep, I saw the city often, sometimes under the hot yellow rays of a sun which did not set, but which wheeled down low in the horizon, and on the clear nights the pole star leered as never before. Gradually I came to wonder what might be my place in that city on the strange plateau betwixt strange peaks, at first content to view the scene and all-observant, uncorporeal presence. I now desired to define my relation to it, and to speak my mind amongst the grave men who conversed every day in the public squares. I said to myself, this is no dream, for by what means can I prove the greater reality of that other life in this house of stone and brick south of the sinister swamp and the cemetery on the low hillock, where the pole star peeps into my north window each night? One night, as I listened to the discourses in the large square containing many statues, I felt a change and perceived that I had at last a bodily form, nor was I a stranger in the streets of Olatho, which lies on the plateau of Sarkia, betwixt, betwixt the peaks of Noten and Cataphonic. It was my friend, Elos, who spoke, and his speech was one that pleased my soul for it was the speech of a true man and patriot. That night had the news come of Daikos Fall, and of the advance of the Intuos, Inutos, squat, hellish, yellow fiends, who five years ago had appeared out of the unknown west to ravage the confines of our kingdom, and to besiege many of our towns. Having taken the fortified places at the foot of the mountains, their way now lay open to the plateau, unless every citizen could resist the strength of ten men. For the squat creatures were mighty in the arts of war, and they knew not the scruples of honor which held back our tall, gray-eyed men of Lomar from ruthless conquest. Alos, my friend, was commander of all the forces on the plateau, and in him lay the last hope of our country. On this occasion he broke, spoke of the perils he faced and exhorted the men of Oletho bravest of the Lomarians to sustain the traditions of their ancestors who, when forced to move southward from Zob- Zobna before the advance of the great ice sheet, even as our descendants must someday flee from the land of Lomar, valiantly and victoriously swept aside the hairy long-armed cannibal Nof-knex. No- Wow Novknex Novknex Sh- nofkes that stood in their way to me elos denied the warriors part for i was feeble and given to strange faintings when subjected to stress and hardships but my eyes were the keenest in the city despite the long hours i gave each day to the study of narcotic manuscripts and the wisdom of Zobnarian fathers so my friend desiring not to doom me to inaction rewarded me with that duty which was second to nothing in importance To the watchtower of Thapnen he sent me, there to serve as the eyes of our army should the Inutos attempt to gain the citadel by the narrow pass behind the peak, and thereby surprise the garrison. I was to give the signal of fire which would warn the waiting soldiers and save the town from immediate disaster. Alone I mounted the tower, for every man of stout body was needed in the passes below. My brain was sore, dazed, and with excitement and fatigue for I had not slept in many days, yet was my purpose firm, for I love my native land of Lomar and the marble city of Oletho, that lies betwixt the peaks, Noten and Cataphonic. But as I stood in the tower's topmost chamber, I beheld the horned waning moon, red and sinister, quivering through the vapors that hovered over the distant valley of Banoff, and through an opening in the roof glittered the, may, the pale pole star fluttering as if it were alive, and leering like a fiend and tempter. Methought its spirits whispered evil counsel, soothing me to traitorous somnolence with a damnable rhythmic, rhythmical promise which it repeated over and over. Slumber, watcher, till the spheres, six and twenty thousand years, have revolved and I return to the spot where now I burn. Other stars anon shall rise to the axis of the skies stars that soothe and stars that bless with a sweet forgetfulness. Only when my round is o'er shall the past disturb my door. Vainly did I struggle with my drowsiness, seeking to connect these strange words with some lore of the skies which I had learnt from the narcotic manuscripts. My head, heavy and reeling, drooped to my breast, and when I looked up it was in a dream, with the pole star grinning at me through a window from over the horrible and swaying trees of a dream swamp. And I am still dreaming. In my shame and despair I sometimes scream frantically, begging the green creatures dream creatures around me to wake in me ere the Inutos steal up the pass behind the peak Noton, and take the citadel by surprise. But these creatures are demons, for they will laugh at me and tell me I am not dreaming. They mock me whilst I sleep and whilst the squat yellow foe may be creeping silently upon us. I have failed in my duties and betrayed the marble city of oletho I have proven false to Alos, my friend and commander, but still these shadows of my dreams deride me. They say there is no land of Lomar, save in my nocturnal imaginings, that in these realms where the pole star shines high and red Aldebaran crawls low across the horizon. There has been naught save ice and snow for thousands of years, and never a man save squat yellow creatures, blighted by the cold called esquimox esquimaux. As I writhe in my guilty agony, frantic to save the city, whose peril every moment grows, and vainly striving to shake off his unnatural dream of house of stone and brick south of a sinister swamp and a cemetery on a low hillock, the pole star, evil and monstrous, leers down from the black vault, winking hideously like an insane watching eye, which strives to convey some message, yet recalls nothing save that at once, had a message to convey. Okay, I'm gonna apologize for the way I read that. That was terrible. I started all through that one, but it's a good one. It is a good one. Um, I think the two is gonna do it for tonight. It's right now. It's two thirty in the or one thirty in the morning, and I've got to get some sleep. <laughs> Okay, folks. I am going to say good night, but before I do, I will give my standard shout out to Mr. Andres Herrera, who uh, gives me the music for the show and the entry and the outro music. Uh, great musician, great friend. Um, he's got his own podcast, the Decibels Deep podcast, here on uh, Anchor and Spotify, and you can also find under that same name you can find him on Instagram. You can also find him on Instagram as Entropy and Motion Music, and he is great. I mean, you can listen to some of his music here on Spotify as well, under that name, Entropy and Motion. He's got great music. Short little LPs, they're really good stuff. I listen to him quite a bit. I've actually got him on my playlist on Spotify. But uh, give him some love. Show him some love there on Instagram and uh, listen to his podcast. It's great stuff. And listen to his music on Spotify. That helps him out quite a bit. And I do believe he's on other platforms. I just don't know what ones. Um, Then I would like to quickly mention the sponsorship for the Spooky SLV. It's kind of like Patreon where you can pay monthly and there are different tiers. Um, I'm actually thinking about doing, if anyone does like the $10 tiers, I'm actually thinking about doing uh, illustrations from some of the stories that I've read. And give those out to the uh, to the ten dollars cheers. Make prints of them and do it that way. I'm considering it. I'll have to work up a a good uh, a good dollar a good dollar. (laughs) Have to work out a good perk for everybody. But um, you know it's it's not something that you have to do monthly anyway. I mean, if you want to just get onto the support page, which there is a link on my Spotify page that leads you to the support page. Um, you know, it starts at ninety nine cents, or it goes up to four ninety nine, or it goes up to nine ninety nine, and that's per month. But you can do one month and then cancel it, so it could be like a one time gift. Um, every month would be much better for me. (laughs) You know, it, it would help out quite a bit. I really need to get a new uh audio deck for this. I bought that cheapest one I could, and then it didn't work, and then they sent me a new one, and it works, but if you move on the wrong side of the microphone or even just a little bit off to the side of it as you can hear right now and i'm not even like three inches away from it it really does have an issue (laughs) but uh you know i you know the support is really really welcome to me because i can with that support buy new equipment make things better i can maybe soundproof a little area out in my shop where i can uh eventually record these really really well build a nice podcast table maybe do some video podcast although no one wants to see my ugly mug but hey you know what the hell right but anyway folks i am going to say good night and i want you to consider the uh, the the at the very least for the podcast support listen rate it share it with your friends if you share it the more listens i get the better it is for me um So, you know, consider it. Let people know that you listen to it. Let people know that I stutter my way through (laughs) stories. Well, have a good night, folks. We'll see you later on the next one.